Well, hello again, Wendover Hills. You doing all right? Good. I hope already you've had this opportunity to uh, just be before God and to, to hear from Him and to go uh, near Him. And I, I want to walk you through now uh, part four of the series we've been talking about. It's a series about meaning. It's from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I told you at the, the beginning of the series that this is like a no holds barred, looks like bare buckle, uh, buckle? buckle, brawl fight that, that uh, Solomon is having with his memories, his memories of what mattered and what doesn't matter. And his conclusion is just to be very blunt to you to say, this has great meaning, this has not even a little meaning in your life. And we've been walking through this and we, we've talked through a few of these things. And so this week I want to hit one that I, I believe affects all of us to some capacity. Some of you, this is a big problem. Like you really struggle with what we're going to walk through this, money, this morning. Some of you not quite as much, but all of us have to deal with the subject matter of this message. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, remember we are a Bible-believing church, but we are challenging you to be a Bible-carrying church as well. And so uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is where we're going to begin. Someone once said, I don't know the key to success— but the key to failure is trying to please everyone. Does that sound about right? I don't know the keys to success, but the keys to failure are trying to please and be all things to everyone. That's kind of the subject matter. Ecclesiastes is about meaning. From the very beginning, we find that with Solomon. He's talking about what brings value and meaning to your life. And so we're just going to walk through this teaching this morning. If you happen to get in here and you didn't get the sermon notes, uh, just slip up your hand and uh, Pastor Anson will be glad to, to get one of those uh, to you as we walk through. Meaning. So the first week we talked about how Solomon gave this overview as he looked back on his life, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we talked about in this overview that he sought it after education, fulfillment, and meaning. And in the end it didn't bring what he thought it was going to bring. He, he sought it through pleasure, full-blown pleasure. And it didn't quite bring. He sought it through, it's, he said, drinking of wine as much as he could. And it didn't quite bring it. He said he sought it through material possessions, houses, and, and vineyards, and gardens, and on and on and on. And it didn't quite bring it as well. Pastor Ernie walked us through the idea of work, that we find it and look for it in our work at times as well. Now remember, none of this means that those aren't significant components of our life. But we don't find our ultimate value and our ultimate meaning in this life if we camp out in those areas, is what Solomon is trying to say. Uh, and as he walks through this, now he hits this particular subject matter that he wants to talk to us about, and it is found in uh, two verses, and I'm going to read you the first verse, and I'm going to save the second one till later on, because you're going to see the first verse, we go, wow, I deal with that. The second verse, it's going to flip it around to a challenge to say, wow, I sometimes do that. And so let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 21. It's in your notes. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Don't pay attention to every word people say. Eventually, if you do that, you're going to hear people saying bad things about you. You're going to hear people critique you. 
Solomon understands that, he, and he wants us to know here, that if you listen to everything everybody says, you're going to have a problem on your hands. Because there's no way you're going to be able to appease everything everyone says. So here's the overarching uh, phrase I want you to remember today and take home with you. It's in your notes. The voice of God must always be louder than the voice of others. The voice of God always has to be louder than the voice of others. Now, this is not just the people giving you advice. This is your TV shows, your news reports, anything. The voice of, loud, of God must always be louder than the voice of others. Now, some of you right away, you're like, yeah, but Tom, I mean, we need advice from people. We'll get to that. We'll walk through that as well. But the voice of God always needs to be louder. Pack that away. We're going to talk about that in the next few minutes as we walk through this, uh, the rest of this sermon. Uh, does work matter to you? Uh, does pleasure matter? Do your hobbies matter? I would imagine to some degree, yes, but as we've walked through this, you understand, as Solomon has taught us, that these don't bring ultimate fulfillment in our lives. So the question of this week, do the opinions of others matter to you? How much do they matter? How much do you alter the course of your life, your thinking, what you do and what you don't do based on the opinions of others? Now, we live in a, 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 we just live in this society that is incredibly good at critique. Uh, we're incredibly good at telling others what we might think and what we think is good and what we think is not good. In fact, it's baseball playoff season right now. Football season has begun. College football season is going on. So if you're into sports, all you need to do is follow a bunch of Facebook feeds, and you will know everything the coaches have done wrong, the players have done wrong, and the referees have done wrong. Why? Because it is a knee-jerk reaction in our culture to critique, to share our opinion, to share what we think. What would we have done if we were in that spot? Uh, Never mind the fact no one's ever asked us to be in that spot. What would we do? What is my uh, opinion? Listen to this. Living for the affirmation that comes from people instead of your call from God, it's going to get you nowhere in life. It will bury you under a pile of burden is what it'll do. That is what Solomon is getting at, and we're walking through here. So this world obviously has no shortage of opinions anywhere you go. Uh, you have Yelp reviews, right? Anything you go to, you want to go to a restaurant, just throw on Yelp. You can tell people right away before you even leave the restaurant. In fact, if that waiter does anything during your meal that you didn't quite like, you can Yelp it right there. You can let everybody know, this is ridiculous. Don't ever come here. We live in that kind of society. We upvote, we downvote on Reddit, right? I mean, this is great, this is terrible. Buy this, stay away from it. I, yesterday, I'm in the shoe carnival store, right? If you go to the shoe carnival store, let me tell you what you're about. Um, because I shop there, I can say this. Um, you're about wanting to have a, a fairly decent pair of shoes, at least a decent name brand shoes, but there's not a chance you're ever paying full price uh, for those. So you find your way into the shoe carnival, right? Um, now, in the shoe carnival, if, if you like really like to review products, you might know that... Um, the high-end things or the, the, the best product that a company makes, that's usually what gets reviewed. The second tier and the third tier product, those are usually not as reviewed as much because they're not as much a commodity. 
Well, if you're at the shoe carnival, that's a commodity, right? So I looked on, on the, uh, in one of the run uh, review pages online just to see as I was looking at shoes, what's, what is the ratings here? Thinking, I'm going to have a hard time finding these brands or these models of shoes out there because they're like second, third tier. But I was surprised. There was plenty in fact, there was one shoe I said, this is the highest rated shoe I found. This is incredible, 89% approval rating. And I looked down there. Do you know that means that 1,700 people did not like that shoe? Whatever the math is, you do the math on what the other 90 or the 89% was. But uh, that 11% was 1,700 on this shoe that I thought was a second or third tier brand. We live in a culture that wants to critique we want to give our opinion. We want to give our reviews, right? We like Facebook, right? We love on Instagram. I mean, I'll take it a notch higher, right? I mean, that's what we do. When we throw our, our, our Facebook uh, post out, I mean, we're begging and hoping that we never say it for likes on that page. I know for me, man, if, if one of mine gets to like 20, 21, 22 likes, I'm thinking, hey, all right, all right. Now, my sons can throw something up, and they can have 22 in about 30 seconds. Um, what's so good about them, huh? What about me? So, we want that. We crave that. Did you know that right now, like in church, right here today, you could go on Yelp, and you could post a review of this church, of this service? I just tell you, that is bonkers. That is ridiculous in there. Put it down, Rich. Uh, <laughs> That the house of God, where Jesus, do you remember that he flipped over tables and kicked things out of the way and, 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 and kind of borderline cursed at people and said, my house is a house of prayer, not the marketplace. But you can throw it right into the big review factory in our nation if you would like. Right here, right now, today. That's the kind of culture we live in. Now, it's kind of a fun thing to do, it seems, for us to rate things that um, I went into a bookstore, a used bookstore right here in Greensboro. Um, I was driving down the road. I didn't plan on stopping, but um, I saw the bookstore and thought, you know, I, I had had one of these little emails that said, because you like, you might like type of things. And so I, I remember the author's name and I thought, yeah, I'm just going to park, go in. I know what I'm looking for. He's only written three books, so it should be really easy to run in, look at the author and know and so I ran in that bookstore, and I found it uh, on the bookshelf, about 15 seconds worth. Went up to the cash register, had somebody, you know, somewhat engage me. I gave them some cash, six bucks or so, and then I left the bookstore. I got in my car, and I've been working through this book I'm reading. But as I was paying, they did what they often do. They asked for uh, an email, you know, as you're checking out, and I gave them that. Do you know that I got an email from this hole-in-the-wall used bookstore that said this. The question was, how would you rate your experience? Like one to five and then a place for comments. How would you rate? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't know. I popped into the parking lot. I was in 15 minutes. I pulled it off the shelf. I paid. I went out the door. Boom, I'm reading the book. What's there really to rate? I don't see that as an experience. Like, I didn't go to Disney World here. I didn't bungee jump. I just went into a used bookstore for about 35 seconds and bought a book, but that's what we want to do. We want to rate about everything. Can I just tell you that this is a dangerous, dangerous game that we play? It's seductive. 
it pulls us in. It makes us feel like we need to get evaluation. We need to offer this because if we don't, how do we know how to make ourselves better? There's some truth to that, but we've let it go to the point where we feel like we have the right and the opinion to critique and to evaluate everything. This is one thing I do know. We don't enjoy it so much when we're the one being reviewed and critiqued. Now, I'm a pastor. I also do coaching on the side. Um, I'm in a, a, a fairly high feedback professions, um, you would say, in the, in the pastor world and in the, the coaching world. Um, sometimes in, in, in the, the pastor world, you know, you, you want to kind of just wear a sign that says, tell me how was my sermon today? Please be honest, uh, type of sign. Now, in the coaching world, it can be, it can be far, far worse. You, you kind of want to wear the sign around yourself in the coaching world that says, uh, please evaluate how I did with each of my decisions today. Preferably not to me, but in the stands with the other parents. That's what the sign would say um, in the coaching world. If you're a mom today, maybe you're a mom of, of younger kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's almost like your sign that you're wearing is, please critique my parenting. Please let me know how I'm doing with my child. It can be exhausting. That's the culture we live in. And you know what Solomon is getting at here? Solomon is saying to us, listen, if you listen to every voice out there, everyone that has something to say to you, you're going to get buried under it. You're going to get buried under this pile of burden, maybe guilt as well, and you'll never get out from under it. Peter Kreft writes a book. It's called The Three Philosophies of Life. And in it, he says, Ecclesiastes is a completely modern book. What does he mean? He he means it's not just a timeless book. He's calling it a modern book a modern-day book, meaning for our day and our time, almost like when Solomon wrote it, surely it was significant for the time, almost like it needed to be shelved and brought out into our culture today so that we understand this is for us, is what he's saying. But it's timeless, I mean, in the sense that it, it, we hear these themes. In, if you look in John chapter 12, verse 43, it says this, yet at the same time, m- many even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith, him being Jesus, their faith, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. It's that last line I want you to understand. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. That's the danger zone that Solomon is warning us about here. So a question for you, what do you do if you've bought in to this? If you've bought into this opinions of others? If somebody can say something to you and you feel like, "Ah, Tom, I'm so thin-skinned that if you were to just say right now that, you know, my outfit isn't quite working, that would just send me into a death spiral. Uh, I probably wouldn't come out of my house for the rest of the week. Hopefully you're not that bad. Um, But if you're saying, "I'm, I'm highly affected, what do you do? What do you do? Well, when you've bought into these voices from others, I want to just share with you a few things that I feel like God's Word teaches us on what to do. Here's the first thing, is you've got to go back to what God says. You see, what really is happening is that you're listening to what others say before you're listening and reminding yourself of what God says. What does God say about you? Well, look at what it says in Jeremiah 31. It says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying... I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. And God is saying, look, I love you. Uh, again, men, uh, I understand. I mean, that's not like your favorite words to run around with each other and say, man, I love you. Man, I love you. Um, but the truth of the matter is that's what we, we crave, to know that our God does indeed love us. And his word would say, what you need to remember is God found, finds significant value in you. Significant value. My second year of coaching uh, at Asbury College, um, now I think I've told you before, when I was coaching at Asbury, Asbury had been like bottom of the rung, like had won 10, 11 games. They started their, se- their career like the first four seasons winning zero games. Um, we won 25 the first year, 25 the, the 24 the second year. So pretty good years for, for Asbury, right? But somewhere during that second season, I brought a pitcher in. He threw to one batter. It was the right matchup for me. I took him out and brought in another pitcher. Well, we won the game 6-4 in a pretty good rain. But who was waiting for me afterwards? Mama of player that pitched to one batter, right? And I had to walk through that. I had to walk through that critique of, you know what you did to my kid? That's so embarrassing to come out. And da, da, da. He got the kid out. Um, that kind of thing. And to walk through that. Can you imagine if my value as a coach those two years was centered on that one comment? I'd had a hard time making any decisions after that. I would have known how to make pitching changes the rest of the season. But, you know, our value is in who, what God thinks of us, the value God finds in us. And the more we listen to the opinions of others, the more the, the voice of God and the value he shares with us just starts notching downward and downward and downward. And unless I'm getting the positive feedback, my value just does not seem that great. Listen to what he says in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That when you said yes to Jesus, you are a child of God. And you're called that. You need to remember that when you're listening to the critiques and the opinions of others. Do you know that on some of these review sites, such as as eBay, which has a strong review system as part of their sales, helpful, productive, right? But you actually keep notching up the status category based on how many reviews you've gotten. You get these little stars that go next to it. The stars change colors and things like that as your sales increase and as your reviews increase. That saying is... As the opinions of others grow, so your value grows. Now, that may work in the sales world, in the eBay sales world. God does not look at you that way. God says, you're my child. You are one I call my own. You're of that value to me from the get-go is how I think of you. Next verse, look at this. It says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You ever been rejoiced over with singing? Like literally, I, I haven't. I don't quite know what that looks like. But, uh, but here's the Lord rejoicing over you. I've used this example many, many times with you over the last five and a half years. But I want to remind you of this. When you go in to have your baby in the hospital and you've never seen this kid, right? Never made an appearance in this world. And that kid comes forth. 
you can't even describe the love you have for that kid. It is immediate when you look at that kid. He could be like somewhat goofy looking by world standards or beautiful, could have a pointy head, could come out with a perfectly round head, lots of hair, no hair, doesn't even matter. When that baby comes out, you have this love, passion for this kid. The irony is there's a kid that was born in the room next door, right? And you could care less about that kid. I don't care. Care about this kid, right? Because he's your own. God looks at you and says, that's how I think of you. You are my own, my child. So if you're struggling with this, please first go back and know what God says about you. Your value is, has nothing to do with the opinions uh, of others. Here's the second thing to remember is you've got to hold tight to your calling. There is nothing that has derailed people in their calling in life greater than somebody else's opinion. Somebody says something, I don't know if you're quite wired for that. You probably shouldn't do that. Or I know you're, you're doing that pretty good, but you're not quite hitting it perfect. Or, hey, you're doing really great. But, but there's always a but after that and a little bit of uh, critique that goes in after that. And it can derail our calling from God. Saul, you might remember, uh, was called to be king. God made him king. Um, and Saul actually uh, was given very specific instructions on how to be king and what to do and what not to do. And if you know the story in, in 1 Samuel, you'll know that he actually disobeyed this on several occasions. And God sent Samuel to him at one point, and, and he, he, he said to him, Samuel, uh, you've disobeyed God. And Saul's like, no, 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 I, I I think I did everything God had commanded me to do. And Samuel said, no, you have it. And started to lay out where he was disobedient and disobeyed the instructions. And here's what Saul said to Samuel. I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of men, and so I gave in to them. Saul lost sight of God's calling because of the voice of the crowd. Because of the voice of those people. One of the strongest illustrations in scripture of this was found in the book of Luke. Pontius Pilate, who had the right and the authority to release Jesus and wanted to release Jesus, knowing that Jesus had done nothing to deserve death. But we find in chapter 23, verse 23, but their loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. How often has the opinion and the critique on your life prevailed over God's calling? You can do this. God has placed it in your life. He has called you to it, and yet the opinion or the thoughts of others, or maybe it's not even the opinion. Maybe it's that somebody else is doing something else, and you think, well, maybe I should do that too, and you've derailed your calling Here's a verse that was given to me by uh, my youth pastor in high school, just little after I'd become a Christian. It stuck with me. You might know it. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. Uh, that's our, our calling and how often we get derailed in our calling, being so caught up in just the opinions and the thoughts and the reviews of other. 
Now, uh, I know some of you have been sitting here and, and you've been processing, but, but Tom, don't I need to listen to some other people? Isn't there value? Let me share with you number three here, and that's develop a filter. And we actually find that Scripture teaches us about developing the right filter of what we listen to and what we don't. Here's the phrase to remember, not everyone, but not no one. Now, I know if you're like a teacher, a grammar teacher there, like you hated that, but, um, but that's, that, just go with me. Not everyone, but not no one. That's, that's a phrase to remember when we look at it. Don't listen to everyone is what Solomon is saying. If you listen to what everyone says about your life, you're going to be in trouble. Now, I told you I'm a pastor, so like I'm, uh, there are lots of things that if you'd like to read through Facebook and everything, especially in a political season, you will find many things that declare to me as a pastor what I should believe and what I should do, both in teaching you or from the pulpit as it regards the political season or stances on certain issues and those type of things. And it push and drives. Can I just tell you, if I were to listen to all of those, then this morning I would be declaring to you my endorsement of all four presidential ca- uh, uh, nominations, um, or uh, candidates, excuse me. Um, I would be really s- supporting uh, something on the, what we traditionally call the left and traditionally the right. I would be sharing with you both of those this morning. Um, I'd probably be sharing an opinion that gets me right in the middle because that way it might be the safest for us, or maybe it's the most dangerous, I don't know. Um, but I'd be sharing all of that with you if I listen to every opinion of what a pastor should or shouldn't be saying, we've got to develop a filter. We want to listen to everyone, but don't listen to no one. Don't get yourself in the the situation where you're like, "I, I don't really have any of that in my life. I don't listen to any of that. In fact, some people like to declare with pride, I don't care what anybody says. Can I just say, That is just stupid. God has given us great spiritual minds who can speak significant wisdom into our life. You got to draw to those people. They're of value to you. Proverbs 29.1 says it this way, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. That doesn't sound fun. Listen to the next verse, though. Proverbs 27.6. This is where it comes from. Wounds... From a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And what he's saying there is wounds, direct talk, straight talk, hard talk from a friend. You want to listen to that. If a friend is saying, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to speak to you about the direction of your life. I need to speak to you about what you just said. Or I need to speak to you about the way you treated that person. I just want to talk to you about like your calling, what you think your calling is. That's the voice to listen to. But it says an enemy multiplies kisses. I mean, how often have you drawn yourself to people who you know already are going to tell you something like, hey, you just got to do what you got to do, you know? Hey, whatever's best for you, just find your way. I'm with you. I back you. I support you. That's what the writer of Proverbs is saying here. Um, Those are actually enemies, kisses. And so you develop this filter of not everyone, but but not no one. Now, in, in my life, um, I, I have several of these filters. There's a couple men in the church here that I can go and I can have breakfast with, and I can share with them or process or ask them a question long before I ever get into the point where I've spoke to you about it or brought it into a teaching or decided we're going to go this direction or those type of things. It's like a filter. 
And I could, can I tell you that I would love if those guys would just always have told me, that sounds real good, Tom. You are tracking so well. In fact, I am amazed by your wisdom and your intellect and your good looks, Tom. Um, but they don't, they don't often say that. In fact, they never say the good looks part. Um, often they say to me, I don't think you've thought all the way through that. Or, you know, if you do this here, you need to think about this other group that, that maybe you're not reaching, you're not processing. On and on and on. They're the voices I listen to. They are the ones that I say, they are my filter to speak to and to hear from. Do you have that in your life? I'm telling you, if right now, if your filter is Facebook, how many likes? If your filter is what people say on Facebook, if your filter is liking to get into an argument on Facebook and you think you won, well, first of all, let me tell you on that, there is no Facebook argument that's ever been won in the history of Facebook. They just continue to go. They've never actually been won. If that's your filter, I'm going to tell you right now, log off this afternoon. Cancel your account. Get rid of it. It's doing you a disservice. It is piling on and putting you under loads of burden and and probably guilt as well. Develop a filter. Not everyone, uh, but not no one. And listen to the right voice. And then finally, Solomon brings us back here in the very end. And this is the dangerous area. As we listen more and more to people being critical, as we listen to the opinions of others, as we find our value based on how many likes and opinion, good opinions we get, it develops something within us. It develops the feeling that I have the right to also critique. And Solomon says here, the last one, don't become a critic yourself. Ecclesiastes 7.22, for you know in your heart that many times you have cursed others. Solomon calling us out here, making it public, making it known that, that as much as we like to talk about uh, critiquing and, and bringing opinions and reviews to others, because, you know, we want to help them. We want to help their business. We want to help them out. Solomon is flipping around and saying, there's often new times you have cursed. You've used this in a dangerous way yourself. Uh, where did it become in our culture that we felt like we had such the right to denigrate people that we might never meet? People we see on TV, athletes, uh, actors, on and on and on, that we would denigrate and critique and harass with our words these type of things. You know how I feel for, because I like to read, authors. Writers who, on one hand, they get to go to their office in their pajamas, which is usually means they're sitting on the couch writing for all day long. That's a nice part of it. But when the book comes out and it, it's put out, they have thrown the door open for anyone to now say, critique my work, critique me. I just spent a year writing this 300 pages and getting it out to you. Now just critique me to death. And you'll see with every book that comes out, you have this series of reviews on either side. Can I just encourage you not to become a critic? When you're watching your sports team this afternoon, your football game, don't have a critic's heart. When you're in line and at the grocery store and you happen to see a few things that in your head you start to go down the path of, if I was in charge, I would do it this way. Can you remember you're not and they don't want you to be? And you don't need to be a critic. It brings no value, no joy. Solomon would say it's meaningless. It's meaningless to your life. 
to find great value. Can I just tell you, when, when you're driving down the road and you're going in your desire seven miles over, but the person in front of you is a law-abiding citizen at 45 miles an hour, and everything coming out of your mouth is a critique of them for following the law and you violating it, um, can I just tell you, there's no joy, there's no value, there's no satisfaction in your life that comes from that. That is what Solomon is teaching us. If you go to the point where you are so defined as being a critical person, then Solomon has said, you've already begun. You're right in the middle of the dangerous game. And not only that, but you are now the one heaping the burden upon others. And so he'd say to us there, don't become a critic yourself. Value others. Value what they're doing. Value the process they're walking to. And when they come to us and they ask us, how am I doing? And if you become one of those voices that's a helpful voice, do so with grace and love. The the final thing I want to remind you, the voice of God always has to be louder than the voice of others. And I want to just encourage you, if you've been beat down in here, if you've quit things, if you've stopped doing things that you know God called you to because of the opinions of others, the critiques of others, I want to encourage you this morning, throw it away and get right back on to following whatever God has of you. If you've emotionally been beat down because of the critique of others, I want to remind you how incredibly valuable you are to your God. Never are we promised that those in our life, those even close to us, sometimes even family members, are not going to be the the sources of that critique and that harshment. But your value is found in God, and I want to remind you that this morning. If this morning you've just lived in the world of, I don't care what people think, I'm just going to say what I want to say and do what I want to do, can I just remind you that Solomon say there's, there's no meaning and value and joy that you'll find in that. Develop a filter. And then if you would evaluate yourself, if you would honestly just talk to yourself and say, am I critical? Am I too critical of other people and what they do and what they say? This morning, could you hear the words of Solomon to say, just wipe that away. There's no joy, no satisfaction, meaning in life that comes from that. You might ask your spouse if that's you. If you dare risk the wrath, you might ask your spouse. They'll probably be straight with you on that. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, that you can through your word, be so direct with us in this issue. And Father, I I would lie if I didn't say that as a pastor, I would love if everyone liked me and everyone liked my messages and everyone went home thinking, man, that was the best this morning. If everyone critiqued and said, man, those songs are just so good. They're so inspiring. But Father, ultimately, I know, Father, your calling on my life is to share the word of God, to love people and care for people and share your word. And so, Father, help me in that. But, Father, you could translate that thinking on every single person think is sitting here, whatever profession they're in, whatever they're doing in life, that you've put a calling on their life to use their gifting for your glory, to bless and serve other people, to do their job to, to the best of their ability. And Father, this morning, if, if any of us have bought in just to the idea that our value comes from the opinions of others, that our value 
comes from, call it our popularity among opinions. Father, this morning, would you just, would you just stop us where we're at? Would you share with us and remind us of our value in you? Would you remind us that it's a road to nowhere, meaningless nowhere, if we continue down that? That we turn and we start listening to your words. We trust, Lord, that you have something immediately for us if we would do that. We pray in your son's name. Amen.